thousands upon ten thousands from every tribe, every language, every nation will gather around the throne. And the lamb who is slain, but he who is alive, sitting on his throne, will be on that judgment seat. But we will not see condemnation in his eyes. We will see love and compassion. We will see welcome home. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this wonderful gift of life that we have in Christ Jesus. That not only were we made in your image, not only did you make us male and female in your image, but even when you gave us different tongues, different languages, and you made us from different nations, you still knew that we would be one in Christ Jesus, that we would be his bride. So our Lord, we just rejoice. We rejoice in the way. We rejoice in the truth. We rejoice in the life. He who is the bread from heaven, who feeds us. And so our Lord, as we wait upon you now, knowing that our brothers and sisters eagerly wait to hear the words of life, we too, who are so privileged to know that we're not going to walk out and be stoned for our faith, Lord, may we hold this word precious. And Father, we pray with thanksgiving for Pastor Tim, who has prepared himself with the word to bring a word to us. May this word travel from our heads into our hearts and be manifest in our lives. We know it's not possible without help from the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, move among us. Be our teacher. And Lord, may we honor you and please you in all that we do. Through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. It's uh, good to be here with you again and to open up God's Word with you this morning. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. While you turn there, let me tell you a little bit about a woman named Sarah Thompson. So in 2012, Sarah Thompson was a 32-year-old, kind of typical, happily married mother of three. She was living in Exeter, England. And one day she was sitting at her computer and she felt like a prick in the back of her head. Now, like, turned out she falls into a coma from what was later discovered to be a, a blank brain clot in her brain. So she's in the coma for 10 days before she comes out of the coma. So she wakes 10 days later, but she lost way more than those 10 days. When she woke up 10 days later, she had no recollection of the past 13 years. Like, she went into a coma in 2012 as a 32-year-old. She woke up from that coma thinking it was 1998 and that she was 19. She had no recollection of her husband or her kids. And in fact, like, she woke up and her husband's in the room, but she, had, but she thought he was a hospital worker. Like, she had not yet, no one had realized, like, how much memory she lost, and so no one explained to her who her husband was. And so Sarah, talking about the situation, said this. She said, when I realized I'd be going home with him, I was really confused. 
Like, I thought I was still with my ex-boyfriend. Like, which seems like kind of like the all-time, ultimate understatement. Right? Like, like, you imagine like waking up in the hospital and somebody being like, uh, yeah, you're going to go home with that random hospital worker. And all you say is, I was really confused. Like, I would be freaking out. Right? Like, but that's what she said. And she had a similar reaction with her kids. She said, when the children came to see me, I had no idea who they were. Like, I thought they were somebody else's. Like, I had no idea why they were so pleased to see me. And, like, you just imagine, like, having that experience. Like, like, you wake up and you think you're 19. Like, you're, like, in that peak, you know, late teen, early 20 years where you're kind of free and doing whatever. And all of a sudden, you wake up and you're, you have three kids and you're married. Like, that's the kind of thing that happens in, like, cheesy romantic comedies and not in real life. Like if that had happened to me, like, I would have been convinced that it was like the world's most elaborate practical joke and not actually real. Like, because like, that seems like it seems more plausible it's just some elaborate joke than it is that it would really be happening. Like, and I can't imagine what it would take to convince me that all oh, this was really real, that I really was married, that I really had three kids. But I'm sure that convincing me would be a multi-step, many multi-step process. Right? And maybe it involved looking at old family pictures. And maybe it involved seeing my wedding certificate. And maybe it would involve having people I trust who I remember from my childhood assure me that this really is what's happening. Like, like I don't know what else it would take. But, but I know that like, the more ways that it could be, I could be assured that it was real, the better. And the same thing is true in our Christian life. We don't literally forget how we came to know God the way Sarah literally forgot marrying her husband. But but over time, it's pretty easy for a sort of spiritual amnesia to set in. We get wrapped up in day-to-day living, and we forget what it was like to be a young and new Christian, and we are overwhelmed by the sense of God being real and personal and loving me. We kind of lose that connection, and if we're not careful, over time, like God starts to feel more distant. Like, he starts to feel more like an idea that we're supposed to believe in than a person who loves us and cares for us. And like before long, if we're not careful, like that feeling of distance from God can lead to us doubting whether God is even real, or if He is real, whether I really know Him. Like one of my hopes in being here in this church is that like. Like we're a place like where you can come on Sunday morning, you can come to people in the church, and you don't have to feel like you have it all put together. Like we're going to be a place where we can embrace that life is challenging and it is messy, where we confess we're still struggling with sin, where we rely on one another for help in overcoming those challenges and in fighting sin. And one of the effects of the sin that still clings to us, even after we're saved, is that many of us will go through periods of doubt where we will question whether whether God is real, whether Jesus really died for our sins. So if that's you this morning, I'm glad you're here with us or I'm glad you're watching online or I'm just glad you're listening. And I pray that this sermon is, is helpful in assuring you that God is real, that he really loves you and cares for you. And I hope you find people, whether it's in this church or other believers elsewhere, who can walk with you as you struggle with those doubts.
I want to assure you it's a common experience that we want to walk with you through it and not judge you for feeling those doubts. We are a, we're a forgetful people. We're so quick to forget all that God has done for us. But thankfully, God has created, the God who created us knows that we are prone to forgetfulness. He regularly provides ways for his people to be reminded of his goodness and his mercy to them. And so here in the book of 1 John, like we've been walking through this book and seeing over and over again that God provides different ways for us to be reminded of how he loves us and cares for us. We've called this series Assured, because John's main hope is that we will remind ourselves of what God has done for us, and therefore be assured that we really are a child of God. And John has sought to assure us by giving us kind of three main tests we've seen all throughout the book. He's given us the test of, of faith, the test of love, and the test of obedience. But now we're in chapter 5, we're getting to the end of the book, and John kind of wraps up, starts to wrap up the book by bringing all three of those tests together in one passage. In many ways, like the key themes of this book are all summarized in this one passage, where John's kind of main idea is that we can be assured can be assured of our status in God's children by examining three areas of our lives. Right? Our faith, our obedience, and our love. We can have confidence that we have eternal life. If we look at our lives and we see evidence of faith in Jesus, we see evidence of obedience to God's word, and we see evidence of love for others. So with that in mind, let's read 1 John 5, 1-5 through 5, together. John writes this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So the first area John gives us, the first area John invites us to look at in our own lives to be confident that we know God is our faith. The passage starts and ends with a statement about our faith in Jesus. In verse 1, John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And then in verse 5 we read, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And it's no accident that Jesus begins and ends this passage with a focus on our beliefs. Right? Because everything else that we do in our lives, our love for others, our obedience to God, all of it flows out, first and foremost, out of our answer to this question. Right? Do I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? So the first question to ask ourselves on that moment a doubt creeps in is, like, do I believe in Jesus? But like, note that the question is not, have I been doing things that I think a Christian is supposed to do? Or have I been going to church? Have I been serving in the church? The question is not, have I been reading my Bible? Or have I been giving to the poor? The question is not, have I been baptized? Have I made a profession of faith in the past? Those are all kind of questions our brains like to kind of superimpose on the question, do I believe in Jesus? But the question is, do I right now believe in Jesus? Do I believe that my sin broke my 
relationship with God and deserve to be punished. But God loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus to earth to provide a way for that relationship to be restored. Do I believe that Jesus really was God in the flesh? Do I believe that he really lived a sinless life? Do I believe that Jesus really died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins? Do I believe in that Jesus? And if the answer is yes, then John says, you've been born of God and you've overcome the world. If the answer is yes, then you are a God child and you have access to him and intimate relationship and you are a co-heir with Christ of all that he owns. If you believe in that Jesus, then you have overcome the world. Nothing this world can do, including killing you, can separate you from God or deny you eternity of joy in his presence. If you answer yes to the question, do I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, then you can be assured that you will spend eternity with God in the new heavens and the new earth. But usually, in seasons when we're wrestling with doubt, the reason we're wrestling with doubt is that the answer to the question, do I believe in Jesus, is something more like, I think so, or I'm not sure. Like, I think so, but maybe, maybe I'm believing the wrong things. Like, after all, like John is writing this letter to the people in his congregation to assure them, to assure them that they are saved because there's another group teaching an alternate version of Jesus. And that group is claiming that their Jesus is the real Jesus that they should believe in. Like, how can I know that I'm believing in the real and the right Jesus? Again, there's no, there's no shortage of competing ideas of who Jesus is, either in John's day or in our day. Right? Like there's, there's the good moral teacher Jesus that some people like to teach, like who came to teach to live us a certain way and just wants you to be a good person. There is social justice Jesus who is only concerned about how you treat the poor and the marginalized. There's political Jesus who is more concerned about how you vote than your love for God. And there is health and wealth Jesus who just wants you to be blessed if you have faith in him. So with all these competing ideas of who Jesus is, like all these false Jesuses that seek to distort our view of the true Jesus, like, how can we be sure that we're trusting in the real Jesus? And that's where the next two tests that John, John gives us come in. And the next test he gives us is our obedience. He says, if we love God, we will be obedient to his commands. Verses 2 and 3 say, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. If you know God and you love God, if you've truly been born of God, then you will find in yourself a desire and an ability to keep his commands. Not, be clear, not that you'll always be perfect at it. Like, we all still have our sin nature at work in us. And because of that, we'll still fail to be obedient to God at times. We'll still sin. John's already assured us in this letter that If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify from all unrighteousness. So John's point is not to say, if you are ever disobedient and you don't know God, clearly that's that's not what he's saying. What John is saying is that if you know God, 
The overall pattern of your life will be one of being obedient to God. Why? Because those who truly love God know that, as John says here, his commands are not burdensome. And so often when I think about my relationship with God and his commands in my life, like, I tend to think of God's commands as just like a series of hoops to jump through like, in order to prove how much I love God. Like, as if God is saying, like, you're not going to like this, right? but if you really love me, you'll keep this totally arbitrary set of rules just to prove your devotion to me. Right? Like, you'll give me your time and your money, even though you'd be happier spending it somewhere else. But if you'll give up that happiness in this life, then I'll reward you in heaven. But God's commands aren't like that. God's commands aren't a burden. They aren't arbitrary. They aren't designed to make us unhappy in this life. God gives us commands because he is our all-knowing maker. And he loves us. And as our maker who loves us, he gives us commands that help us live the way he created us to live. He gives us commands that if we follow them, will lead us into a life that is satisfying and joyful. God is not on some power trip just giving us commands just to make us follow them. He is our loving Father who gives us commands because he wants us to live joy-filled lives. And so John says, like, one way to test whether you really know God is to consider how you think about God's commands. If you really know God, then you'll know that his commands are not burdensome, and they are for your good, and therefore you'll obey them. So the question is, like, are you being obedient to God's commands? And if not, why not? Is it because you think of God's commands uh, as like these fickle and pointless things, and because you think that you know better than God what will bring you joy? Because John said that that's you, if that's your mindset, then that's a sign that you don't really know God. And if you do generally speaking, obey God's commands, we should still ask ourselves why. If it's, I'm just trying to appease God to earn my way into heaven, that's another sign that you don't really know God. But if you obey God's commands because you know that he loves you, and you know what he did for you in Jesus, you trust that he desires good for you and that his commands are good, if that's your heart, if that's your desire, then it's a sign that you truly do know and love God. And you should find assurance of your love for God in the fact that you are obedient to Him. Our love and our obedience to God should assure us that we truly do know Him. There are lots of areas in our lives where we're called to be obedient to God. and We could spend a long time talking about this command and that command and all the ways we can be obedient. But John gives us one command that kind of stands out. If we're going to be obedient to that command, right, there's a good chance we'll be obedient to the rest of them. And that command is to love one another. So the third area of our life that John invites us to examine to see, the, to see whether we know God is our love. Our ability to love one another is a clear indication of God at work in us. And therefore, it's a clear sign that he, we have been born of God. In his gospel... John wrote, a new command, quote Jesus is saying, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And now here in this passage, John writes, 
Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. If you know God, if you truly know and believe that the Father sent his only Son to die in your place, then you will love him. And if you love God, you will obey him and you will love his children. We've spent a number of weeks in this series talking about the importance of loving one another. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time this morning kind of really dwelling on that point. However, the fact that John keeps bringing it up over and over again in the same letter should be a sign to us just how important it is that we love one another well and how easy it is for us to forget how to love one another. I don't know about you, but like when I either read God's Word or I hear a sermon, like I can be captivated by it and think, like, oh yeah, this, this truth is going to totally change how I live my life. It's gonna, I'm going to make this change. And then like three hours later, I'm back to the same old selfish me. Like, and nowhere is that more true than in the command to love one another. Like I spent a lot of time like, preparing these sermons, reading First John. I spent time reading other people's reflections on First John. Like, the love for one another is a key theme in this book. Like, so I've been reminded of the importance of loving others frequently, and yet it's still startling how quickly and how often I revert to thinking only of myself rather than of how to love others well. The central cry of my sin still clinging into me is like, what I want is what is most important. I should get what I desire no matter what. My sin nature still cries out that truth to me. And so, that sin is still at work in us. And it's constantly pulling us away from loving others toward loving ourselves. Which is why John reminds us again and again, we need to love one another. So like, I don't know what loving one another looks like for you this week. <clears throat> Maybe it's reaching out to someone you haven't seen or spoken to in a while. Maybe it's sending a card to someone. Maybe it's dropping your bitterness and animosity towards someone. Maybe it's taking the first step toward healing a broken relationship. Maybe it's confessing sin and repenting and asking for forgiveness of someone you've wronged. I don't know what it looks like for you to love others well this week. And I'll leave it to the Holy Spirit working in your life to prompt you and prod you in that direction. But two things are clear from this passage. First, we need to be reminded over and over again to put others ahead of ourselves. And so we hear it in this passage, we remind ourselves again this morning that we need to love others and put them before ourselves. And second, this passage makes clear that our willingness and our ability to love others is a sign that we have been born of God. So if you find in yourself a desire to love others, or not just your friends, not just people you, who tend to agree with you, right? but if you find yourself with a desire to love others, even if you need to be reminded frequently, that desire is a, a sign that you truly do know Jesus and believed in Jesus and have eternal life. You should be assured that God you have eternal life with God. But John's goal in writing this letter is to assure us that if we have trusted in Jesus, then we have eternal life. But God, but John can't accomplish that goal without also achieving the opposite. 
which is to show anybody who would read this letter who has not trusted in Jesus that they don't have eternal life. Until this morning, like, I don't want to assume that everyone here or everyone watching has truly believed in Jesus. So if you've been listening in your heart of hearts, like you know that you haven't been believing in Jesus, that you don't really desire to be obedient to God, that you don't really desire to love others, right? then John says, like, you're probably not a Christian. So like, the goal is not to like, make you feel guilty about that or make you feel bad about that, but to invite you into that relationship with Jesus. Right? And the good news is that like, you don't have to muster up the self-effort to be obedient to God. You don't have to find in yourselves the ability to love others. John says, like, all you need to do to become a child of God is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who died to take away your sins. And God will take care of transforming your life to be obedient to him and to love others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you assure us of your love for us. God, if we're here, somebody who's wrestling with doubts and with questions about what they believe, pray that you would work to reveal the truth of who you are to them. God, for those of us who are here, who know you and who love you, I pray that we would leave with a deep sense of assurance. You are on our side, that you are good for us. Anyone here who is listening who doesn't know you, who hasn't believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that they would turn to you, that they would believe, that they would receive your gift of grace and forgiveness, that they'd be amazed by what a great God you are, and they would fall in love with you. And we thank you for the way you work, the chance to gather here again. We pray that we would leave here loving others and being obedient to you. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we, we prepare to leave, go out back into our lives this week, pray that we would all go in the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that we would go being obedient to God's commands, and we would go loving others well. You're dismissed.